That's a lot of sweet fellowshipping going on. It is so good to see each and every one of you. Are you having a great summer now that summer has arrived in Michigan? Just had a great 4th of July, I hope, and just enjoyed some of the fireworks and just remembered the freedoms that we have in this country to gather and assemble freely and worship the Lord. Amen. Isn't that a good thing? Today we are in part five of our sermon series, Blessed. I sort of wanted to lay out for you where we're going in the fall of this year. But in August, we have a four-part sermon series entitled, How to Proclaim Jesus with Your Life Without Saying a Word. Just how, how to live a life that proclaims you belong to Jesus. And we're excited about that. That's August. And then September and October, we're having a series entitled The Family of God. And we're just going to talk about God's family, the church, where we're going, how we're getting there, what we're doing, what honors the scriptures. And I'm really excited about that series because the church is to be a family that is very close in many ways and is on the same page and aligned with sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Also, I just had to say, uh, before we really get started this morning, that was pretty incredible, gifted worship that our team led this morning to kick us off, to get our hearts set for the Word of God. I mean, I don't know if you saw Damien over here. I did. Damien, I saw you. And you didn't have no glass tube, but you was using the whole hand to roll down the strings. I catch those things. I've got a son that does that. And, wow, can we be any more blessed with Matthew and Kayla? Man, Kayla can bring it. Amen? Kayla brings it. Uh, And so do so many others on the worship team. But uh, we are truly blessed. In our eight-part sermon series, Blessed, we are looking at the Beatitudes found in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And there are eight Beatitudes. Some think nine, but really, if you look at verse 11, it is an extension of verse 10. But what's interesting about the Beatitudes and the way God has designed things is the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God is this sandwich that is being built of spiritual attitudes that we need to have if we want to be pleasing to God in our walk with the Lord in our daily lives. But in verse 10, blessed, or verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And then finally, the beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And then we have all these attitudes in between. This morning, we're going to talk about another fantastic beatitude in this part five. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As I thought about this beatitude and worked through it in preparation... I thought, I've got to tell the church. 
Like, this is one of the most important lessons I'm going to ever teach. But then it hit me, I did that last week when we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and I did it the previous week when we talked about blessed are the meek. And it just, you know, well, it's the most important teaching I'm going to do today. Because they're all so wonderful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, where does this mercy come from? Is it something that we create in ourselves? And it seems pretty obvious the answer is no. That we can't create mercy in ourselves, but you have all of this scripture throughout Old and New Testament that is always talking about the mercy of God in the lives of His people. And so mercy is an extension of who God is. And as we experience His mercy in our lives, we are transformed in our spirits by what He is doing in our lives to likewise show mercy to other people. That's why when you find yourself poor in spirit, just humble before the Lord, when you find yourself at a place where you're mourning over your sin and just the evil that's in the world, and then you see that you have to, in meekness, trust God in every situation, and that you have to hunger and thirst for this God, you find yourself in a place spiritually that you realize how merciful God has been to you in your life. When you did not deserve it. And that really is a great description of mercy. Something that God gives to you, to me, to us, that we don't deserve. Mercy. The word mercy literally means like to experience compassion or to show compassion. Have you experienced God's mercy? In your life, and I would imagine many of us could say in many different ways. And we experience His ultimate mercy in the sacrifice of the innocent, His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. The innocent paying for the sin of the guilty. That is ultimate mercy. And in fact, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says... But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Jesus Christ. God looks at His creation and is merciful, richly merciful towards His creation. He sees their brokenness. He sees their weakness. And He intervenes through Jesus Christ And makes us alive. And it's all because of His compassion. His empathy. His love. His mercy. We have all experienced the mercy of God. Especially if you are a believer. But say you're sitting here and you're not a believer. I would say to you, you have experienced the mercy of God 
in many ways as well. Jesus, in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 36, He talks about mercy. And He says, God is good and kind and shows mercy to those who are ungrateful and even the evil people in the world. God, the Heavenly Father, is so rich in mercy that He pours out His mercy not only on His children, but He pours out His mercy on those who are ungrateful and don't look to Him or live for Him in any way, but are truly evil. God pours out His mercy. And then in verse 36 at the end, Jesus closes by saying, Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Lord, today I simply thank you for the mercy that you've shown me in my life. And I think we could all say amen to that in our own lives. Sometimes mercy that we take for granted. Sometimes mercy that we're not even grateful for. It's just mercy that God is pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And we don't acknowledge His great mercy. Our Heavenly Father that we love and live for, that we hold up for the world to look at and to see, to, to see Him in us as well is a God that is rich in mercy. And His people are to be rich in mercy. And what I want to do this morning is to give you uh, three pictures. The first picture is two different scriptures to show what mercy is not. And then close by looking at a text which is a picture of what mercy is. And then to look into your heart and your life and ask yourself, where are you in those pictures? Because Jesus says, when you are merciful, you are blessed. When you are compassionate, the hand of God's favor is upon you and His mercy flows into your life more and more in abundant ways. And we all want God's mercy because it is God's help. So, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at two slides that show really what the opposite of mercy is textually. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the one that we are trying to be like, the one that we are trying to love like. Here we see this story, this parable, where he sits down with rich people, tax collectors, who took advantage of others in the collecting of taxes, He acknowledges that they are broken sinners separated from God. When the Pharisees, religious people, and here specifically religious leaders, saw this, 
they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And we get in that an insight into the heart of these specific Pharisees in this time. They saw what Jesus was doing as something that was wrong. It's not right. There comes out of this a ceremonial uncleanliness by associating with these kinds of people. They are tax collectors. They are sinners. Why does this man who says he represents God, why is he eating with them? Why is he fellowshipping with them? You know and I know that when you go out of your way to sit down and have a meal with someone in their house, in many ways that's a very intimate setting. You are inviting someone into your life and you are looking to be a part of their lives. But the Pharisees, they don't get it. And many religious people don't get it. They're just focused on the minor things, not the major things. You've heard the saying, some major in the minors and minor in the majors. We just got our focus all wrong. Maybe all things are important by degrees, but some things are more important than others. And I want us to see that in this text. And we can ask ourselves, are we like that? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. I think sometimes we forget that. Jesus wants the Pharisees, his disciples, to understand what is happening and what he is doing. He has come into this world to save sinners. It is the sinner that is unhealthy, it is the sinner who needs the doctor, and he has the medicine. In fact, he is the prescription. But go and learn what this means. And then he quotes Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous... Not call the righteous, but sinners. Do you know Hosea 6 opens up with the Lord saying to the people of Israel, Return to me. You've left me. I've been there for you. I have been kind. Return to me. I brought discipline upon you because you've left me. And then he goes on and he finally says, Your love, Israel, for me, your God, is like the morning dew on the grass. 
oh, it's, it's there, but it's negligible. It's there, but it goes away pretty quick whenever the sun rises. Next time you're walking outside in your bare feet in the early morning, and you feel that dew between your toes as you walk, remember this passage. Because Jesus is saying, as he quotes Hosea 6, 6, this is the hearts of the people. And then he goes on to says, what God wants is mercy, not sacrifice, acknowledgement of God, not burnt offerings. And there it is again. The people of Israel weren't alive and loving God fully the way God wanted to be loved. They were focused on the minor things, a burnt offering, a sacrifice. But just like the love would just evaporate as the sun would come up, all that was left in their lives was empty burnt offerings. And that is not what God wants from them. And it is not what God wants from us, from you, from me. There's something He wants more than sacrifice. And that is mercy. And mercy here is in opposition to sacrifice. It's not about the burnt offerings. It's not about all the little details. It's not about getting this I dotted and this T crossed. Oh, there may be a place for that. And it can be good in its own right. But when you go through life majoring in minors and minoring in the majors, you miss the whole point. God wants the sacrifice. He's asked for it. But your heart's wrong. And the way that you're looking at God is wrong. And therefore, because you're not loving God the way that He wants to be loved, you're not fully alive and you can't love others the way God wants you to love them. I desire mercy. Not sacrifice. God wants us to come to church. God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to go to a Bible school class. God wants us to serve in different areas. God wants us to know the Scripture. But God wants your mercy towards Him defined as your love and your acknowledgement of what He has done for you. And in return, you experience all of God's goodness and blessing and it changes who you are by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you reflect that same mercy back into the lives of people that you see need mercy. Wherever you go, people need mercy. People in this church need mercy. There's a family here that's got child that has struggled with tumors all their life. Many non-malignant, but maybe now malignant. Inoperable. Hey, that mother and father need mercy. 
mother reached out to me. She has just thrown her hands up in the air and doesn't know what to do. Her daughter is so confused on so many levels, and there is a lot of dysfunction, and what do I do? Who can I get to come alongside her and partner with her and try to guide her? I've just emptied myself, and I'm at my wit's end. That mother needs mercy. And her daughter needs mercy. As we said here this morning, after yesterday, we've got a mother and a father who will continue to need our mercy at the loss of their son. It could just go on and on. Someone comes here that knows no one and has struggles taking place that are all inside them that they can't share because there's no one they feel close enough to share it with. They need mercy. And God has called us to be an extension of Himself and to give mercy as we have received mercy. Now, times and cultures may be different. For the Pharisees, it was just easy to look down and be judgmental and to be self-righteous. And why does Jesus do this he shouldn't be doing that and, and just judging. And we can keep the barrier. We don't have to deal with those people. In our culture, it's probably a lot more, not so much of the judgmentalness, I hope, but more of, I'm busy. I got my own stuff to deal with. I can't take on your stuff. I can see you're hurting. I can see that you're in distress. But I've got my stuff. And we build that wall and we don't take time to, to look and see people that are in distress. So I pray out of Hosea 6, you will acknowledge God more and more in your life and you will take to heart that our God and Father above desires mercy more than He anything else. More than He desires these other things. That's picture one. Picture two comes out of Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. Now, Again, Jesus targets the religious leaders, and they should know better. Religious leaders should know better. We don't need to be standing up, speaking for the Lord, if we don't know the heart of the Lord and what He desires. And He says... 
you know, you're you're hypocrites. You 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 say one thing, but you're doing another. Well, the reason you say one thing is you know what's right, but you don't do what's right because you don't have in your spirit that love for God. You've not received His mercy in a way that you realized I was broken and empty and had nothing to offer and God stepped in and out of His goodness and kindness poured mercy into my life. When it comes to Christians, simply because what we have experienced in newness of life, being transformed to death to life, like the prodigal son. We were dead, but now we are alive, and it's all because of His grace and His goodness, His mercy. We become people that want that for others. No matter how hard the situations we might find ourselves in to say to people that we don't necessarily know, you need God. Sometimes you have time, like I said last week, to build the relationship so that you can have first a friend and then possibly a brother as God would work through their lives. But then there's those moments in life you have to be like the John the Baptist. There's no time to build friendship. The people are coming and John shouts out, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath of God? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't say to yourself this or that. You've got to do something. Woe to you teachers of law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now here is something that's important. But Jesus says it is a minor thing in comparison to the greater thing. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more weightier or important matters of the law. What are they? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. In other words, you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's, and God wants that, but not at the expense of neglecting what is more important to God. And that is being an individual that is so transformed by the cross of Christ and His sacrifice for you personally that you desire mercy and justice and compassion and love for others and it flows out of you to them. I just think it's so beautiful the way Jesus shows what mercy is not. This is not mercy, Jesus says. You should have practiced the latter. They're important. Without neglecting the former. You're you're blind and you're trying to lead people and you're leading them into places that God doesn't want them. We see that in our churches all across this land. And I'm speaking against my own kind here. We get up and we preach sermonettes out of books and never even refer to the Scriptures. If a preacher does not preach out of God's Word and show the text and talk about the text in time, in place, and how it might apply to today, they need to sit down and be quiet. They are watering down everything that God is not. And so this morning, quit neglecting 
the more weightier matters. And embrace them. Because that is what God is wanting. And then as you embrace those important matters, justice, mercy, faithfulness, the other part comes. It comes, and it comes for the right reason. It's like Mike says, you do it because you love God, not because you're having to do it to get your points, to say you did what was right. That changes nothing in you. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. I always liked that. The straining out the gnat is focusing on the miners. The swallowing this big old camel with two humps. That's I always like the two hump camel. You don't have anything. You just strain and strain. You make sure you get the gnat out, but the bigger thing that's right there, you miss it. This morning, in your walk with your Jesus, are you focusing your life as you're living it out in your walk on the weightier matters? Are you arguing about what a text means or doesn't mean and this is what it says and this is what it doesn't say and, you know, this is hard and what do you think about this? And, and we make that the big thing. And there's places for those types of talks that in our lives we don't allow those things to consume us where we are focused on the trivial things versus the really, really important things that God wants us to have in our lives. And then third, we get a picture of what mercy is. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan. And in this text, I I think it can be summed up by how should one act if he expects to find mercy on to the judgment day. How, how should I act? What is the expectation if I want to find the mercy of God on judgment day and have eternal life? And Jesus tells the parable on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, to inherit eternal life from the Lord is a merciful blessing that God gives us. There is a great day coming. There's a day of judgment There is a great separation that will take place. People will be separated to the left and right. Some will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Others will not. Heaven will be the experience of a few and hell the experience of many. And this teacher of the law, this expert in the law, what must I do to experience God's mercy and have eternal life? And so Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The very thing Israel wasn't doing in Hosea. Do you see that? Your love, Israel, is like the morning dew. It's there for a moment and then gone. Now, this should convict us all. 
God desires us to love him with every part of what we are. Our physical strength, our spiritual strength, our emotional strength, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God in that way and love your neighbor as yourself. Am I the only one that thinks sometimes people can be a little too much? A little overbearing? A little needy? A little selfish? A little extreme? A little hard to take? Hard to deal with? I'm not the only one, right? I, I know that. I see you guys like, yeah, yeah. Like, you, that, there's always, you know, different times that person is like, oh, got to go the other way. Lord, I just don't have the strength today. Love your neighbor as yourself. What gives us the strength is the call of mercy to love others to love our enemies, even to pray for our enemies, but, but to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as Mike pointed out this morning in a powerful Bible class that's open to all, we're pretty good at taking care of ourselves most of the time and loving ourselves. And it's a good thing God wants us to love ourselves. But the way that we love ourselves, he wants us to love others. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live, which is a reflection of do this and you're going to have the mercy of God in your life. Do this and you're going to have eternal life. Do it. But then we always have the but. And we know that this kind of but in this context is there's some false motive going on. Well, I, I want to do just what I need to do without really having to do too much for others. So where's the line? But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him for dead. So what do we have here? We have right here an illustration that Jesus is giving of a man that's in distress. Beat him and went away, leaving him for dead dead. I'd call that distress if it was me. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, notice that, saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This is definitely a, a clear picture of of what it looks like to be unmerciful. 
to see someone in distress and not being willing to get involved just to ignore for whatever the reason may be. And here again, it's a priest who's doing what? Offering daily sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord. And just like in Hosea, those burnt offerings here, the priest and Levite reveal and reflect that these sacrifices are burnt and empty. They were representatives of God and they were missing in their life doing what was merciful. This is a clear... We don't ignore when we see someone in distress. Now, I'm not talking here about the person that stands on the street corner and holds up the sign, I will work for food and may have the best Nike tennis shoes on that there are and all of that. But we all have to make that judgment. But when God convicts your heart that this person is distressed, it doesn't matter where they're standing and who they are, something has to take place with inside us. And it has to be a merciful response. But they pass by. This is what being unmerciful looks like. There was probably judgment. But a Samaritan, now we know the Samaritan, by the Jewish community, was looked down upon. Because the Samaritan were Jewish people that had intermarried with the Assyrian nation. And the Old Testament, especially the religious people, looked at that as polluting the bloodline of the Jew. And they were looked at as half-breeds. Jewish people did not associate with Samaritans. We, We know that as we see that in Scripture. They did not talk to them. There was no fellowship. There was no mercy. This Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine upon him. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. We're going to see a sharp and clear definition of mercy. And I just want to bring that out as we look at verse 33. Number one, you know, there's probably many more uh, shades or dimensions or layers of mercy, but we're going to look at four. The first is this Samaritan, when he saw him, How many times do we go throughout the day and there are people right before our eyes who are in distress, but we just don't see them? Oh, we see them, but we don't see them with our hearts. I don't have time. I've got too much I'm dealing with. This is going to take too much out of me. This is a burden. They have to suck it up. Life is hard. They've got to deal with it. And we walk right by. That does not honor God. That is unmerciful. Mercy has a beautiful layer where the eyes of the merciful see one 
who is in distress. We see when one's in distress. We see when a mother and father are mourning the loss of a child. We see when a mother and father are concerned about the health of a son. We see when a mother and child are concerned about a daughter. We see when someone is sitting alone by themselves. No one's talking to them. And mercy pours out of us because we see. You want to know what mercy is so that God will show you more and more mercy in your lives. Be a person that sees when someone's in distress. Merciful person sees distress. Number two. Upon seeing him, he took pity. A merciful person responds internally with compassion. Something happens inside us when we as God's people who are also rich in mercy see someone who is in distress and our heart goes out to them, we take pity on what they're going through. Christine, Jerry, Joe and Vicky's son, was your future. You had dreams and you had plans. She's grief-stricken. And she's humble enough that I know she won't mind if I share this. But she reached out and said, I need some grief counseling. And I thought, you know, Lord, I can, I can do that. I've experienced some things. But there's another elder that has the time and the willingness. And I said to Christine, would you meet with Jack? You know, Jack lost a son to a tragic motorcycle accident. Jack's had a daughter that's went through cancer that really wasn't supposed to survive. Jack is 78 years old, and he's lived some life, and he has some wisdom. So I'll meet and I'll talk with Christina as well. But I want you to talk to Jack because he's got so much he can offer you. So, a merciful person responds internally first by, I see what they're going through, and maybe I've not been there in that way, but I've been there in other ways, and my heart goes out to them, and where I can do something, I will do something, and that is what is next. The Samaritan bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. A merciful person responds externally to help relieve the stress. We do something. Yes, it starts with we feel some because we see, but then we get up and we do something and we serve in the name of God. And we pour out 
mercy and kindness and understanding in individuals' lives. We all need it. We've all experienced it. A merciful person like the Samaritan responds externally to help relieve distress. And I know you will be blessed by spending time with Jack. And God bless you for your willingness to ask and reach out and to follow through. But there's a fourth one. And it was at the very beginning of verse 33, but a Samaritan. Most scholars tell us that while this is a parable, more than likely they think the reference to the man that was beaten and led for dead was Jewish. And that's why Jesus is talking about a Samaritan helping a Jewish man that is in distress. And why is that so important? It is because Jews hated, had an enmity towards Samaritans. It was real. There was a strong negative bias. There was a racism that was deep. There was a spiritual divide. They did not like Samaritan people. And yet, in Jesus' story, the Samaritan helps the Jewish man. A merciful person acts even when the person in distress is the enemy. Oh, that's hard to swallow. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. That's who Jesus is. That's who we are crying out to you as a church leadership. Let us love and live like Jesus. So we see this fourth element of of showing mercy like God shows mercy to the evil and ungrateful when we see the enemy is in distress. Because you know, your merciful attitude towards that person may be used by God to make him a brother or sister in Christ. And so the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper as the story develops. Looking after him, he said, And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus finally says to the expert in law, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And we all know the answer. Because if we were the man that needed the mercy, it would be the person that helped us, right? And so Jesus says, the one who had mercy on him, and your answer is right. Go and do likewise. And we just wrap up by simply saying, a merciful person sees people that are in distress, responds internally with compassion, They take pity, responds externally with help, doing whatever it takes, even if it costs them, and finally responds even for his enemy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It is the weightier matter of all the things in Scripture. And may you grow in the mercy that you have as you reflect your merciful God. Would you pray with me?
Father, help us to be like you. Give us opportunities. Prick our hearts to see. Prick our hearts to fill. Touch our hearts to help. To help anyone that needs it. We love you and we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need prayer, if you need mercy, we point you to God. We point you to the Son, but we would love to partner with you.